Heavenly Father, Lord, we just we come before you and we thank you that you're God and we're not. You know, as we study the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, that's that's what you wanted us to see, that when we finally come to that realization that that God, you you are in all things and above all things, and we we have no control. Then we can lay our hearts and our lives down to you, and and Father, you lift us up. You put our feet on right paths, and you guide us by your Holy Spirit. Then once we do those things, and we turn our life and our will over to you, and we start hungering and thirsting for that righteousness, then our actions manifest itself in mercy and grace and it also comes out and we hungering and thirsting for that righteousness we become pure in heart and we pursue peace and we want folks to know the author and the originator of that peace and that's Jesus and Lord then because of that peace, some of us will be persecuted, mocked. But you said rejoice when these things happen. Because you wanted us to know that that the world and the world's view is on the external and the temporary. But the kingdom of heaven is internal and eternal. So no matter what occurs in this life, Father, we have heaven awaiting. And we thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you for this teaching. It, it shook the very foundation of what people believed when Jesus spoke it out. And I pray that it does the same things to us in this day. Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would fall in this place and on each man woman and child as we would we learn and teach about what these beatitudes represent and mean so father i just pray that you be glorified in us to us and through us and i ask it in jesus name amen <clears throat> i know many of my brothers and sisters here at harvest know my story know everything that we have gone through, but uh, for some of the new people that, that are here, I I didn't come as a teacher here. I came as a, as a lowly sinner. And uh, just like these Beatitudes, I come to realize this is my road to redemption and, and to, to into the kingdom of heaven. And I remember the very first time that I sat under Moy's teaching and the boys had been coming to Dean's youth group. And I heard Nate Yoder speak about when we're touched by the Holy Spirit, we're never the same. And it just crushed me because that was what I was looking for. I didn't want to be the same any longer. And I came to, to realize that my life was, was out of control. I had contemplated suicide and even planned it. I had no purpose in my life and no, no hope. But that day... I found hope, and it was in Jesus Christ. 
And as I began to take stock of my life and where I'd been and the mistakes that I had made, I had made, a godly sorrow came upon me. And I remember going to those church services when we had them in the auditorium and all I could do was cry because I knew what I was and I knew who I needed. And I cried out to the Lord and like it says in Psalm 34, I cried out to the Lord and the Lord delivered me. You know, and if you look at these first Beatitudes, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are meek. That is the pathway to eternal life. When we come to those stages in our lives, just like I did, and we hunger and thirst for that righteousness, and we delve into God's word, we, we surround ourselves with people that, that love us and love Jesus, and we grow in our faith, then we find purpose in life. We all have a calling in our lives, and that's what? To go into all the world and to make disciples, right? And that's kind of where we're going to begin at. You know, my story is, is that I, I worked after, after a while there that God called me into the ministry, and I didn't go to a church to preach. God sent me someplace that I didn't want to ever go again. I used to be in law enforcement, and when I left, I told them the only reason I'd come back to this place is so I could go in and kill an inmate or two. <clears throat> but then God called me into the ministry, and guess where he sent me? He sent me back into that same jail. And I began to study and teach Celebrate Recovery. How many are familiar with Celebrate Recovery? Some of you? Well, Celebrate Recovery is based on the Beatitudes. You know that? It's based on the Beatitudes. And as I began to study to teach, I never learned as much as those days. And God started to grow me in, in my relationship with him and in my relationship with other people. When I went into that place, God had started preparing me a long time before that. Um, after I'd left the sheriff's department, I was trying to get on with my life, and every once in a while I'd see an inmate out of jail walking down the street. One guy, I knew him, and, and he was a good guy. I mean, I liked the guy. Sincerely loved him because he was a good-hearted person, but he was in bondage by his addiction. And, and I saw him walking down the street in front of my house one day, and I said, hey, man, how you doing? He said, Brad, not so well. I mean, he's shaking, and he's looking around. He's got his head on a swivel. He says, they've got federal warrants out on me, and if I go back to jail, they're going to put me away for 30 years. And I've been begging him, begging him to send me somewhere to help me get clean, but all they want to do is put me away. Man, and that broke my heart, even though I was hardened to addicts and drug dealers and, and murderers and all those people. My heart broke for him. And I said, God, why don't you do something to help him? And another time, back when I worked for the Sheriff's Department, I had a moment of clarity that God put back in my head. And I was a firearms instructor, and we had a range out at the Conservation Club. And and it was muddy and wet, and it was always underwater most of the time. So uh, 
sheriff decided we ought to get that thing drained and tiled, so he allowed me to take prisoners out and to go out there, and we dug a tile and dug a trench and put a tile in it to drain all the water off of the rain. Well, I took five prisoners with me, and they went out there. I mean, it was July and August, and it was hot, and those men, they worked as hard as any men I've ever seen in my life. And as we worked, and I worked beside them, I got to learn about their, their life and their families, and I got to thinking, man, these guys are just like me, you know? There's no difference. And I became to appreciate them, even though their circumstances were, were not ideal. They still had dreams. They still had family who loved them. And I remember after we was working and we got done and it was still hot, so I said, hey, guys, let's just go back out here at the lake and we'll, we'll, go, we'll go swimming, get cooled off a little bit, and then I'll take you for lunch. How's that sound? Man, they thought that was great, you know. So we went out there and we jumped off of the dock into the water and we were splashing around, having a good time like brothers. We all forgot who we were in that moment. We were just a bunch of guys working together and having fun. And after that, we went and dried off in the sun a little bit, and I took them out, and we, we went to Pizza Hut, and that was a kind of a treat for them. They hadn't been out, a lot of them, for a long time. To be able to drink soda pop and all the soda pop they could have and all the pizza they could have, that was something else. And they just kept thanking me profusely. And then time come, I had to go put them back in those cells and slam those doors behind them. And I, it hurt my heart to do that to those guys. And as I was putting them away, the last prisoner in the last cell and the door slammed behind me, just as another deputy was walking out, out of the, the hallway from the kitchen in down the main hallway where the jail cells were at that time. And that slamming of that door startled him. And he turned around and he looked at me. And he didn't see another officer with a, a brown suit and a badge. He saw a straggly, dirty guy with a bandana around his head that had mud on his T-shirt and, and ratty old jeans. And he put his hand on his gun, getting ready to draw it. And I hollered at him, and I identified myself. And he didn't even miss a beat. He turned around, took his hand off his gun. He said, oh, I thought you were just another scumbag. Little did I know that I was a scumbag. I felt it in my heart that day because I was just like those guys that I treated like stuff. The only thing different between me and them was they got caught doing some of the things that I did. I should have been what they were. That stuck with me for a long time. And then after I came to know the Lord, I began to read my Bible, and I was in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus calling of Matthew and Matthew was a tax collector and he didn't have a whole lot of friends and the, most of society looked down on him because of his profession and he was so elated that he invited Jesus and his disciples to come for a meal you can look it up in Matthew chapter 9 and it says that he was there at Matthew's house and, and Matthew invited a bunch of other tax collectors and the, the new living translation of the Bible we use to celebrate recovery uh, it said that there were many other disreputable sinners. And let me just read it to you. It said, Later Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Hmm. 
And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he asked, then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. For I have not called, come to call the righteous or the, those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. You know, when I saw that and it said, that, why does your teacher eat with such scum? It brought that memory back into my mind and it placed a heart in me and a compassion for those guys that I knew so long ago and that one man that was crying out for somebody to come and to help him in his addiction. So when I got the opportunity, when I knew that God had a calling on my life to, to go and spread the gospel, when Pete Aldridge come knocking on my door and he wanted me to go into that jail, there was only one thing that I could say, and that was yes. And I never learned so much as I did when I was teaching in that place about myself. I thought I was good, <laughs> and I found out something I wasn't. I was in recovery too. But my addiction was to my own self-will, to my own pride. And I had to lay a lot of things down. And the reason I share all this with you is because the fifth B attitude, as Nathaniel talked about it, the B attitude, says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And I wasn't always one that was very merciful. My life, when I got hit, I hit my back harder. I didn't allow anybody to get one on me without me getting a couple of good ones in myself. You know what I mean? And I kind of lived my life that way, thinking that the best defense was a powerful offense. But as I was teaching to celebrate recovery, one day God decided to, to, to test me and stretch me a little bit. And we were talking about forgiveness that day. And up in the front row was a, a woman sitting there, and boy, she was mad. Oh, she was mad. You could just tell it by her body language. She was sitting there with a scowl on her face and her arms crossed like this. And as I was teaching her in, in the class about forgiveness, God was teaching me. You see, that lady that's sitting in that front row wasn't just any lady that I didn't know. There was a lady that I'd been to her house the Wednesday night before in a raid. I was there at that raid because I found out who broke into my house twice, and I told the detectives, and because of my background, they allowed me to go in to try to identify some of my stolen property in that house. And it was there, along with the meth lab. And she had bought some of that stolen property from her son who broke into my house. So they arrested her for receiving stolen property, and they found a meth lab in the back basement. So they dinged her for that as well. So there she sat in, in my class, and she didn't remember me from Adam. I, I could tell by the way she was acting. She was, she was in there just to get out of the cell, I believe. But she was listening, and... When she was sitting there and we were talking about forgiveness and I got to the point where I said, you know, Jesus said if we want to be forgiven, then we must forgive our, our trespasses as well. And 
with that, man, she just couldn't hold it any longer. She said, well, I don't know how God expects me to forgive my son because he is why I'm in here. And she just glared at me wanting a response. Okay, Lord. You know, and I looked at her, and at first that old me kind of welled up a little bit, and I really wanted to say, you know what? You're in here because you bought stolen property off your son that came to my house. But I, I said, ma'am, I don't know if you remember me or not, but I want you to look at me really closely in the face. I said, do you remember me? And she says, I've never seen you before in my life. And I said, well, that's where you're wrong. Because the night when the police came in on your house, I saw you. You were out putting on the curb, smoking a cigarette when we came back out. And you looked at me. Do you remember me? And her eyes kind of got wide. I said, I was in your house because the police asked me to come to, to identify property that had been stolen by your son that you bought, property that came out of my house. And I want you to know that I love you. And today, I want you to know that I forgive you. I forgive your son. And I want you to know Jesus. And he can forgive all things. With that, she put her head in her, in her lap on her hands. And she began to moan. Let me just wail. But she accepted the Lord that day. That day, the Lord set us both free. just say that he did he set me free from a lot of my bitterness and unforgiveness my own prejudices and my own I don't know what you would call it looking down on people because of their circumstance I used to think that if they couldn't drug addicts could not be clean on their own that they just they ought to be in jail that day I understood and knew that they needed God's help. They might have gotten themselves into that situation, but they couldn't get out on their own. No more than I could get out on my own. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Because I had received mercy and grace, I can now give it. And if you look at these Beatitudes, if we take the first four, starting with being poor in spirit, to mourning, to meekness, to hunger and thirsting for righteousness, and we get to that pinnacle where we hunger and we thirst for his righteousness in our lives, then it's going to manifest itself by being merciful, by being pure in heart, by being all these things that God's wanting us to be. Can you see that, how that works? Those first four Beatitudes will lead us into the next four Beatitudes. And that's where we're at. So in the fifth Beatitude, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, and Jesus told the Pharisees, Go and learn what this scripture means in Matthew 9. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. And from the Old Testament scripture, from Micah 6, 8 to Hosea 6, 6, to Jesus teaching us on the Lord's Prayer about forgiveness, 
It's his teaching about the sheep and goats in Matthew 25. Even the James 2.13 is pretty clear, clear. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Aren't you glad that that's the case? That mercy, his mercy triumphs over judgment in our lives? I'm glad that his mercy will override any judgment that I'm going to face when I meet him face to face because of the blood of Jesus. Psalm 41, verse 1, it says, Blessed is he who has regard for the for the Lord delivers him in times of trouble. Blessed is he who has regard for the weak, and the Lord delivers him in times of trouble. The mercy we give will be the mercy that we will receive. God wants us to be merciful. And if we're following in his, in his path to righteousness, that's where it's going to lead us to be merciful because we've been shown mercy. And he also talks about, Jesus talks about final judgment, what it's going to look like, right? Matthew 25, we'll start in verse 30, 31 if you want to turn to it. I just lost my marker there. In verse 31, Matthew 25, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. What are the sheep or goats? We have the mission to fulfill in this life. And we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to show love to these, to those that are out there in need, the least of these. We want to make a difference in the world. That's where it starts. That's where it has to start. Going where they're at, meeting them where they are right now and having the eyes not to see their situation where they're at and say oh that's the way they're always going to be no it's not you're not when you came to know Jesus and neither will they be when they come to know Jesus we don't know that person that we're talking to about Jesus and witnessing to and they accept him they may become the next Billy Graham we don't know only God knows. But what about it? What, what if that person you meet on the street, that person that's homeless in the inner city, or that addict that's living next door, what if 
Jesus goes and shows them the love of Christ and they come to know him in a meaningful and a personal way. And God develops them and it leads to many people. They don't know. I pray that the ones that we disciple, the ones that we introduce to Jesus, that they would have a heart to do that. That they would come and go out into the world to make a difference in their own generation. The next one says, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We know that when Jesus took on the sin of the world, the Father had to turn his back. He couldn't even look at him. And those who are not pure in heart won't see him. But those who are, rest assured, we will. We will. And who, who's, who are those that are pure in heart? Those whose minds, motives, and their principles are pure. They just not only desire to have correct external actions and look good, but they also have a strong desire to be holy in their hearts. You know, when uh, David was was uh, confronted about his, his adulterous sinning with, with Bathsheba, Nathan went to him in response to, to, to understanding and knowing that, that his sin had been revealed and he was crushed in spirit, right? And he wrote Psalm 51, and it's, it's really a powerful one because it's a, it's a mourning. He's broken in spirit. He's mourning. He's crying out to God. And listen to this. Psalm 51, starting at verse 1, I'll just go to 12. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in my innermost parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost places. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Create in me, O God, a pure heart and in me a steadfast spirit. That's my prayer every day. I want to be a pure in heart. And I want my spirit to be steadfast where no matter what comes, what occurs, I'm going to trust him. Because he's where my hope lies. See, it's not about the external just coming to church and looking good and saying the right thing. It's having the right actions and the right attitude. The Pharisees in Matthew 24, Jesus called them out, right? He said, don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. 
God's not concerned about the outward appearance. I think it's in 1 Samuel 16 where the calling of David when Nathan went to Jesse's house to find the next king of Israel and, and uh, he brought out all of his sons, you know, and he said, surely this guy's built strong and handsome and, and he's, surely he's the one God has called to lead Israel. And Jesus, or God said, no, for I have rejected him. Don't look at the outward appearance. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. Our outward appearance might fool a lot of people, right? But it's our heart that God looks at. He created me a pure heart, O oh God. We see this contrast of Jesus' words against the Pharisees' actions, don't we? Everything they did was to bring honor to themselves. But all these things that we're seeing take place and manifesting from these Beatitudes are bringing glory to God. One of the other things that it brings about is peace. Before Jesus came, there really wasn't any peace in the world, was there? There was wars and, and battles within people and even the Pharisees and, and every, everybody was at, at, at at odds, you know, we were a fallen people and, and Jesus came once and for all as a blood sacrifice to atone for our sins that we, through his blood, might have peace with God. He is the true peacemaker. And when we come to know him and accept him as our Lord and our Savior and we begin to imitate him, because that's what we're supposed to do as Christians, right? When we, we come to know Jesus, we are to be imitators of him and pursue that peace. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. What is it, Romans 8, 28 says, for we know that God, or the good, God works for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. For those God foreknow, knew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are children of God if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Romans says, 12, 8 says that if, if it is possible, as far as it depends on uh, you, to live at peace with everyone. But this just goes beyond living at peace. We're called to be the peacemakers as Jesus was bringing others to peace. Romans 4, 14, 14 says that since we then we pursue the things that, that make for peace and the building up of, of one another. We pursue the things that, that which make for peace and build up one another. Blessed are the peacemakers. And also Malachi spoke about Aaron, the Levite. And I pray that it would be said of, of us as well. Malachi 2.6, true instruction was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and justice and he turned many back away from wrongdoing. Then again, James 3.18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. We are called to be peacemakers and to sow peace wherever we go. 
Jesus in 1633 said this, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And that admonition about things coming, the trouble that's coming, brings us to verse 10. And it's Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When we come to know Jesus, we come to know peace. We try to bring peace to others, but sometimes they will reject that peace because that's not what they've ever known. All they've known is war and strife and confrontation. Hurt people hurt people. Amen. We learned that in our recovery classes. Here in our country, coming to know Jesus, I, I remember back when I was teaching a lot of our young men 20-some years ago. They're now married adults. But we had a class called Experiencing God. And it said following Jesus will cost you something. Sometimes it will cost you friends. Sometimes it will cost you family members. Sometimes it might cost you your life. In other countries, it has. We've all seen those images and pictures of, of ISIS lining up those Christian believers as they beheaded them. Jesus told us these things would come. But he also said this. He said, whoever would lose his life for my sake will find it. See, we trade the temporary for the, for the eternal. Whoever would lose his life for my sake will find it. Heaven is our home. Not here. We are blessed for eternity. Verse 11 and 12 goes on to say this. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely accuse you and say all sorts of evil things against you because of me. Verse 12, it says, Rejoice and be, be glad, because great is your, he is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they prosecute, or persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think Jesus also said that rejoice when the world hates you, and remember that it first hated me, right? Worthy of the name that we bear, Jesus Christ. You know, and I remember when Nathaniel and, and uh, Brandy were in India. I think there was a story that, that Nathaniel shared about a, a young man who came to know Jesus. He wanted to know the God of this book. And they were getting ready to baptize him. And uh, as believers came to, to witness this public, uh, outcry, or this public uh, baptism, the guy never showed up. And the reason why he never showed up is because his family found out that he accepted Christ and he was going to be baptized, so they beat him. They beat him. You know, that really brought a lot of conviction to my heart because there's times where sometimes I'm just, I stay up too late on a Saturday night or I'm just lazy and I want to stay in bed. Maybe I can just skip church that day. They were just fighting for the opportunity to go and being persecuted, beaten. 
and forcibly stop from going. It happens all over the world, the persecution. Jeff has dealt with Muslims in, in, in foreign countries, and their God tells them that they're to kill anyone who tries to convert someone from Islam to Christianity. And they do. Jesus said that we're to count the, the cost and then pick up our cross and follow him. And as we see these Beatitudes and how they probably would have just turned those Jewish listeners' worlds upside down in the way that they saw things and the opposition that they knew was going to come from the leaders of the time and how they eventually ended up killing Jesus for he's teaching us. But if we will just take them to heart, put them into practice, use them as a template for our own lives, heaven awaits. Sometimes it ain't easy, but I know this, I can promise you this because I know deep in my heart that it all's going to be worth it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him. And the temporary things of this world in comparison to the beauty of heaven, there's no comparison. So whatever you're going through today, I pray that you just hold fast to what you know to be true, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the life, the truth, and the way, right? He suffered and died for us. He endured that persecution. We see him talking about in verses 10, 11, and 12. And he did it for our sake. When he went to the cross, he did it that we might have life and have it eternally. He knew when he went to that cross that it was going to be hard. And when he was in that garden praying to the Father, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. But not my will, your will be done. And it said, I think it's in Luke, that as he finished praying, sweat like great drops of blood fell from him. From that point, physiologically, that can happen. When somebody's under extreme stress, extreme tension, extreme anxiety, and that anxiety and that tension leaves them, and the capillaries and everything releases, and blood literally comes out of the pores. And I believe that that's where Jesus just could get peace of God about what he had to do. And he went to that cross, and he was obedient even unto death. said that we should take a remembrance in remembrance of that sacrifice that he made for us that he brought peace to us with the father through his blood and his death Isaiah 53 says that he was pierced for our transgressions 
and was crushed for our sins. And the punishment that brought us that peace was upon him. We have peace today because of what Jesus endured on the cross. The scorn, the shame, and all those things. He was that perfect lamb of God that was sacrificed that we might be in right relationship with him. And I had a song pop in my head last week when Nathaniel was teaching. And, and uh, it's called, You Are My All in All. And it, it calls Jesus the lamb of God. And as we take a minute to, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to minister our hearts before we come and take communion, I just pray that you would set your seats a little bit and, and let the Holy Spirit minister to you and listen to the words of this song. It's an older song. It's been around for a while, but it's very powerful. I guess you guys got it right. Okay, good deal. So I'm going to step out of the way and shut up and let the Holy Spirit minister to you in song, and then please come to the table of grace. Remember what Jesus has done for you. If you need prayer today, uh, we're here for you. If you don't feel comfortable coming up here, and I'll pray with you. Nathaniel's over there, pray with you. Chris and Rosemary, there's a whole lot of folk here to pray with you. If you don't want to get up, you don't feel comfortable coming up here, just raise your hand and the people around you will pray for you. This is a pray praying church. I want you to know something. This is a praying church. Rita's back there. She loves praying people. I know that. She's a Praying woman. <laughs> so just let me.